You are on Max's Island, a podcast by Meet Max Power. On Max's Island podcast, you'll hear the lived experiences of people who choose to live life a little differently. It might be a story of when they took time out and dared to do something crazy. Perhaps they made a decision to leave it all behind and follow their dreams. Or maybe they just stopped listening to what other people thought and did what was right for them. This experience becomes a story that is part of them and one that you need to hear. So, now that you're on Max's Island, listen to the wisdom in these stories and you too will be inspired to do what you have always wanted to do. Island today, we've got returning guest Ryan Honshooten. How are you, Ryan? Oh, great, Tony. Not too bad. And yourself? Yeah, very well. We've both got our very large coffees in front of us, so we're raring to go. Oh, yes. Now, Ryan, when you were on Max's Island last time, we heard about your incredible journey in the tall ship across the Atlantic. Uh, today, I think you've got another sailing story for us. <laughs> Yes, um, I obviously enjoy my sailing a lot. Um, This one was a story about the Sydney to Hobart, um, which I completed back in, it was 2015 going into 2016 year. Um, One of the most incredible experiences of my life, although mind you, after that, I then went and did the rounding of Cape Horn, which was another one of those incredible moments of my life. So I don't know which one's better than the other. So when you did it, you know, was there an expectation that it was going to be terrible in terms of the weather? It's one of those things that you can never tell. Um, you know, sailing, you don't control really what happens. Um, I mean, you can, you can control the boat, you can, you can make changes to the way you sail, but the, the elements, the weather is really what controls you. Um, you've got to react to what the elements throw at you. So you can never say that each year the Sydney to Hobart's going to be an absolutely horrific event. It's, you can't say it's going to be the most flattest event you've ever seen. You really just don't know what's going to happen until possibly you know, a week out before the race. You know, and that's when the weather forecasts start predicting lots of different scenarios. There could be this here, there could be that there, there could be a front over there. You're going to have to go through you know, some becalming sessions here. You know, and then, of course, as the week develops, that all changes. So... You know, 51 weeks out from the Sydney to Hobart, it's it's really hard to say what exactly is going to happen. So I must admit, I hadn't really followed the Sydney to Hobart, sort of the weather-wise, leading up to it, the, the few years beforehand. I mean, I'd watched it, um, but not really paid so much attention to the weather itself. However, I have read the books and I've watched the documentary about the um, bad Sydney to Hobart, which I think happened in 96 when we actually lost quite a lot of lives. And even though that did scare me a little bit, it also motivated me a little bit to take on this epic journey, this this epic race, this 
thrill. Um, I also read Fast, is it Fast Not 10, which is another book, and that was about the sailing disaster over in the UK during their Fast 10 race that went really, really wrong. And once again, it was one of those things where some boats survived and hardly knew that there was a storm, and other boats were split in two, and uh, quite a few lives were lost as well. So I'd read that as well. So, I mean, I always knew there was a hint of danger, and maybe that hint of danger sort of got me a little bit excited. Yeah. I don't know. So I just should remind our listeners that you're a, a very experienced sailor. However, you are blind, so that, that's a challenge, and particularly for the Sydney to Hobart. Uh, what was the boat that you were on, and who were your crewmates? So the boat that I was on was called Kale, and my crewmates, there were 16 of us on board, I had some crewmates that were hearing impaired. I was the... Oh, there was one other vision impaired person on board, but he had a reasonable amount of sight. There was people who had dyslexic... Dyslexia? I can't even say yeah. it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry for all those people out there with it because um, I'm so sorry. Uh, there was people who had muscular injuries, disabilities. Um, there were some with some cognitive disabilities. Um, you know, there was a variety of people on board who had a variety of disabilities. So it, Kale is owned by the group called Sailors with Disabilities who um, I believe they've just rebranded themselves and called themselves Making Waves. And... I can't remember the gentleman's name, which is terrible because I should. Uh, David Health, David Northcott, I believe, was the the original person that sort of got sailors with disabilities together because he has this dyslexia himself, and he he's actually got a very good book out. If you want to read a good book about someone that basically comes from nowhere and had probably less than twenty cents to live with who's turned his life around and it's a hell of a journey and it's a hell of a story and it's just it's riveting reading I, I it's one of those books that I found myself at work even sneaking little readings during the day you know like because you just can't stop reading it he developed sailors with disabilities and, and yeah he they were actually out there in the big race in, in 96 when things didn't go too well but they survived so he built this boat and so he gets people with disabilities to come and sail the Sydney to Hobart every year so and they, they're still continuing in fact they have two or three boats now in the foundation so it's it's going really well so you just don't rock up to the sydney to hobart and say oh, i want to or ring somebody and say is there a spare spot on your boat can i come down so how did it pan out that you got an opportunity to be on that boat it took time and a lot of forward thinking and a lot of planning the Sydney to Hobart's always been a fascination of mine. I've always wanted to be there or wanted to enjoy it. Every year since I was 18, it's always been up there. Um, you know, I wanted to do this. Every other year, I've lied on the couch on Boxing Day with one hell of a tremendous hangover from Christmas. And no. I've, no, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I've watched the Sydney to Hobart on the TV and listened on the radio, right? And then one year when I was lying there and it was hot, you know, I was the big sweats and I was thinking to myself this is ridiculous what am I doing I've just had another Christmas day of you know merriment with the family it's always been merriment with the family there's never been problems there um but you know just sitting around with the brother-in-laws the aunties uncles you know dad parents mums you know all that sort of stuff um drinking far too much beer and then waking up like that on Saturday morning I made a decision I thought you know I'm going to go out and do this I want to get myself on that Sydney to Hobart now 
Back in 2014, I was part of the crew that won the international or the world blind match racing championships. And I think that also sort of made me, it, it put another little sort of feather in my cap, I guess, as to say, well, if I can go do that, I can do this. So the journey started so with that, okay? That was my first little epiphany. It sort of went, no, you've got to stop this hangover and get up and actually do something with your life. So my first unfortunate step was at the time I was racing every Wednesday and Saturday and Sunday at the Perth Royal Perth Yacht Club. And on the Saturday racing in the river, which is, you know, we got the spinnakers going, we've got all sorts happening, there's boats everywhere, it's chaos, it's, it's good fun. I was sailing on a boat called Reflections and but they never did any ocean going racing. So after a while, I did some scouting around the club and I found a guy called Phil uh, who has a boat called Huckleberry, which is an SNS 34. Now, anyone that's ever read any stories about sailing around the world, a lot of your sailors that have sailed the world solo um, have all sailed in SNS boats, uh, whether it be an SS 34 or slightly larger. Um, they've all used those sea boat going boats because they're tough. They're built tough and they're built for it. So, unfortunately, I had to say to Reflections, guys, I'm jumping ship. I explained literally. to them why. Yeah, <laughs> literally. And the sad thing was, is Phil's boat was only about three pens down. <laughs> so, I had to walk past Reflections every time I went out racing with them. And, and look, Reg and Wilner are a lovely Dutch couple. They're fantastic. I love them to bits, and I haven't seen them for a while. But, um, you know, they'd always rib us on the way through, you know, about Phil stealing their best crew member. But I had to do it. I had to jump ship. And I did explain to them why and said I wanted to go do the Sydney to Hobart. And the reason was is because Huckleberry was going out and doing Bunbury return races, Bustleton return, Cape Lewin return. It was doing Mandra return, Rockingham, you know, all those sort of offshore stuff. And I thought, because if I'm even going to... And this was before I even contacted the sailors with disabilities. I thought, I'm going to have to get some sea miles under my belt before I even think about it. Otherwise, they're just going to laugh at me. So I did that. And then very nervously one day, I um, made a call um, on my day off. And I made a call to these sailors with disabilities and said, Hey, I'm Ryan. I'm from WA. I would really like to do the Sydney to Hobart one year. And they kind of fobbed me off at first. They, they kind of sort of... I got that sort of feeling that... Yeah, you and 400,000 others that would like to do it, you know, off you go. Come back when you're more serious. Maybe, it was, maybe it was a bit of a test well, to I see think, actually how serious you really were. Well, I were. think it was, yes. I think you're right. I think it was a test because then what I did is I was over in Sydney for the annual Braille music camp and halfway during the week, it was a Wednesday, I rang them up again and I said, hi, it's Ryan here. So this is like two months later. I said, hi, it's Ryan here. I happen to be in Sydney this week. Um, is there any chance of me, you know, over the weekend before I fly home of coming out and having a look at the boat and having a chat to you guys? And just so lucky, I got, when I rang up the second time round, um, the office wasn't being staffed as it usually was, and I got the skipper, John Whitfield, who is a local Perth boy anyway. And so, you know, what sailors are like and skippers are like, sometimes they don't follow the procedures and all that. And he said, well, why not? It won't hurt. You know, we're going out for a training run on the harbour, Sydney Harbour. Why don't you just drop in, you know, meet me here at the Cruising Yacht Club Australia, you know, at about 8.30 on Sunday morning. So I turned up with my huge backpack and everything like that and had never been here before. So I didn't know the layout of the land. I jumped out of the taxi and just thought, my goodness, what am I doing? I don't even know where the front door is. I don't know anything. Obviously, because sailors with disabilities sail out of the club all the time, I found the reception to be absolutely amazing. It was huge. They welcomed me in. Where are you from? I said, oh, I'm from Perth, West Australia, Royal Perth. Oh, yeah, come on through, you know, let's have a chat. So Skipper was running late. So was all the crew for the boat. So I sat around the club for a good 
well, it seemed like hours, but I think it was 20 minutes before finally um, a person came up to me and said, are you Ryan, are you coming out in the boat with us today? And I said, yeah, yeah, that's me. <laughs> so anyway, went out for this training session on this great big 54-foot boat, um, Kale. Now, I'd never sailed anything that big before properly. Um, I'd been on boats like that big, but as more of a bit of a passenger, I'd never actually been and done anything. And so we were sort of, they were doing their stuff. John came and had a bit of a chat to me and said, hey, look, mate, you're, you're on here as a guest today. I don't expect you to do anything. You just sit there and enjoy yourself. And that was on the back rail. And so we went out and after about half an hour, I was going, I'm so bored. Like, <laughs> I wanna, I'm itching to do something. It's, so, a, it's a bit like being a um, race car driver in the passenger seat, isn't it? Yes, yeah, oh, absolutely. Yes, yeah, yeah. And I then when they were doing some of their training and some of their questions, he was asking the crew, you know, when they were doing the training, because they were training for the Sydney to Hobart that year. So, you know, um, so when they were doing some of the training, when some of them couldn't answer the question, I was firing up and going, yeah, I know, it's the blah, 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 you know, whatever it was, you know, or they were saying, you know, why is the boat going so slow? Or why is it doing this? Or why is it doing that? And I was putting my two cents in. And so then we had a bit of lunch while we were out in the water. And then they started another sailing series um, training session. And John came back and sat down next to me. And he says, you know your stuff, don't you? And I said, yeah, I do. Well, I said, I'm not the, the best. I'm not, you know, the most qualified person in the world. I said, but I've been doing a lot of sailing. And he says, yeah, well, it shows. You, you know, you're interested, you're keen. What are your thoughts? Would you like to do a Sydney to Hobart? And I said, oh, absolutely. I said, it's on my list. Uh, I want to do one. And he said, well, look, mate, I'm not going to promise you a spot this year because, as you can see, we've got a crew here. They're training, and I can't just bring you in and knock one of them off, but how about you join us for the rest of the year for all the training sessions and we'll start looking towards next year being 2016, 2017. I was like, yeah, okay, no problem. So helped them furl sails, fold up, cleaned up the boat, jumped on a plane, flew home, and then later that week John contacted me and said, right, Ryan, this is our dates of um, the serious training we'd like you to do. So a lot of it was uh, we were taking part in the races that were leading up to the Sydney to Hobart. So it would be either a full day's race or an overnight race. Now, I need to just interrupt here because I was working with you at the time. Yeah. (laughs) And I wanted you to tell the listeners how many times you did this, but I do recall seeing you on a Friday late afternoon, finishing up at work, you got your backpack, you're off to the airport, and the next thing I see you is on Monday morning when you're back at work and you'd been to Sydney and probably sailed in at least one race on the weekend... How many times did you do that? I believe it was about five times between yeah. the end of July and beginning of December. So five times. And you're right, I'd leave on the red eye on the Friday night, get to Sydney in the morning and go get some breakfast, jump straight onto the boat and you know, by 10 o'clock we were off and racing. Um, some of them were just day races on the Saturday or if I didn't leave on the Friday night, I left Saturday on a, at a good time. Um, would fly to Sydney and um, we'd have a race on a Sunday. But then quite often, you know, the Sunday, if it was an overnight or if it was just a Sunday race or the Saturday race, I'd have to get myself home. And quite often I'd end up back in Perth at sort of 11 o'clock Sunday night, throw myself into bed and then get up to go back to work Monday morning. 
So I guess that really showed the commitment to those guys that you you were serious. Yes, yeah, absolutely. And and, and you were paying your own way I, all look, the time. I was just about to say that, yes, all self-funded. I think I'm still paying it all off now. <laughs> um, but yes, it was all self-funded. I didn't ask anybody. I didn't go to my family. I didn't go to my work. I didn't ask anybody. I, I self-funded everything and thought, well, if I want to do this, I, I have to do this myself. I cannot keep putting my hand out and asking everybody else in life to support me, you know. So, but in the meantime, I was still sailing with Huckleberry every other weekend on the SNS 34 here in Perth. And it uh, was after one of the races we'd done, John, um, the skipper on Kale, had said to me, can I chat to your skipper back in Perth? I just want to find out a few things. So I put Phil and John in touch. And unbeknownst to me, they actually communicated a lot between each other and were talking about me. And, and Phil was putting me through my paces back at home without me actually realising. He was testing me and getting me to do things and, you know, just pushing me a little bit harder every time. And I respect him for that. And I really appreciate it. And Phil's a great mate. And I'm itching to get back out in the water and do another session with Phil. And so that kept happening. And then <coughs> I knew that they were about to, you know, go do the serious stuff. This is about three weeks out from Christmas. You know, the race was about to commence and all that sort of stuff. And I was always involved in the email groups so I could see what was happening. I could see part of the planning. I could see the inventory, the food lists, all the medical, everything like that. But I wasn't part of it, but I could see what was happening, okay? Well, it was, I was a part of it, but not part of the, the crew. Yep. And um, A bit like in the squad, but you weren't in the 22. Yes, that's right. You ran out of the grand final. <clears throat> yes, yeah, exactly, you know, so... But I was excited and I knew that it was good for me because I could see what was going to be happening next year as I built up to mine, you know, my turn the year following. And then one day I was at work and I received a phone call from Phil and he says, you know, he calls me blind man. Blind man, what are you doing? Um, and I said, oh, not much. I said, I'm about to leave work. What's going on? Have we got a race this weekend? And he says, well... We don't, but you might. Um, you know, um, you, you might be getting a call in the next couple of minutes. Just hold on, all right? And I'm like, well, what, what is earth is this guy on about? I, I don't know, anyway. Um, so, yes, I was on the train on the way home, and a couple of minutes later, I get a call from John, and he says, Ryan, we've got a problem. We've just had someone drop out of the crew, and I want to know if you'd like to do the Sydney to Hobart. And this was literally two weeks before we were due to set sail so of course I mean I don't I didn't hesitate um I think I got the shakes while I was on the train you know yeah. <laughs> I was like, what yeah so I didn't hesitate I said oh yeah okay I'll do that um without thinking without even considering the the consequences so of course then I had two weeks to keep on working during the day but then also try and find thermal gear wet weather gear in Perth um you know, with all the sailing shops in Perth, especially when it's summer over yes. here, right? You know, it's, it's it's 40 degrees. You know, who I went to some of the shops and wanted to buy all these um, special, you know, sailing thermal gear, and they were looking at me as if I was nuts. But, you know, when you told them what you were doing, they were like, well, we haven't got much left, but this is what we've got you can try. So it was a bit mad running around, trying to do work, trying to finish up things at work because it's Christmas, you know, that sort of thing. Then I had to book my own flight. Oh, it was just madness. Um, Can I just interrupt? I, I, I do have a vivid recollection of that time because I think I bumped into you very early the next morning after you'd been told on the train. And for the first time in my life knowing you, 
there was the glimpse of a bit of hesitation, a bit of intrepidation in, in your voice, and I'd never experienced that before. Look, it lasted for about three minutes, <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then you're going home. But you could tell that the shock of the speed of the... Had, oh, had, had an impact on you. Yeah, I only had the night to think about yeah, it. Yeah, and that um, the there was that little bit of trepidation, but as I said, that lasted for about three minutes, and then the excitement kicked in again. And as you said, the adrenaline of of um, being busy, getting your stuff together in a couple of weeks, ready for it, probably took your mind off the the thought of you know, the, the enormity of what you were doing. Doing, and, and look, I don't know which side of the brain it was that kicked in, but the organisational side of the brain, which I'm quite grateful for, actually. I'm, I must admit, it's one of my skills that I really um, am quite proud of. That kicked in and just went, right, now we need to find this, we need to find that. I need to work out who's going to pick up some of my stuff at work for me. I need to work out, you know, living-wise... Who's going to feed the cat? Who's going to do this? <laughs> Who's going to, you know, all those important all things that, yeah, in life. Exactly, yeah. you know. So, so I had to sort all that out, and and you know, um, and the next thing I know, I was sort of catching a taxi to the airport on Christmas morning um, at around about you know sort of four thirty in the morning, you know, knowing that I wasn't even going to see my family for Christmas th- that day, yeah. which meant I also had to get presents ready early, messages ready early, you know, all that sort of stuff. Um, you know, it was quite sort of emotional sitting on that plane on the tarmac in Perth, um, you know, ready for this great big experience, but also thinking, wow, um, this is going to be my first lonely Christmas, you know, which is, oh, you know, some people say by, by that age, Ryan, you're old enough, get over it, you know, you should have, you should be okay. But, you know, you sort of, when it's your first time round, when you're big, when I'm such a big family person, yes. um, it is quite daunting. So anyway, flew to Sydney and Met up with some of the crew there. There wasn't much happening on Christmas Day in Sydney, that's for sure. It's pretty quiet. And that's sort of kind of where it all started to unfold. And so what was the trip down to Hobart like and how long did it take? Four days, four hours and 20 minutes or something like that. Right. Yeah, um, I remember it well. Um, It was good. It was full of a lot of challenges. It was... I remember the first night we were out of Sydney and I crawled into my bunk at about 8 o'clock thinking to myself, how am I going to go to sleep? It's far too early. I don't, <laughs> I don't sleep early, you know. But um, And as I was lying there being thrown around in the bunk in my sleeping bag, I was on the top bunk, so I could hear the water crashing over the deck right above me. And there was a few big waves and a few big knocks. And, you know, there was that moment where I really thought, I'm not sure if I've done the right thing. Is that right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. There was that moment of... You know, we were out of phone range, so I couldn't pick up my phone and try and call someone and chat. The rest of the boat had gone to sleep, except for the ones out on deck, because um, everyone knew they had their night shift that night. So I had to have that little chat with myself about, you know, well, it's too late, mate. So you really There's... were in solitude. Yes. It's an yeah. incredible Even place though, to be yeah, on this, <laughs> you know, <laughs> kilometres offshore in the middle of nowhere on the yep. ocean, rough ocean, and yeah, you've got nowhere to go. No, that's right. And even though there was 17 other bodies on the boat, you know, they were probably in the same place as me for some of them, not all of them. Some of them might have been in that same place as myself. Um, Others were trying to get sleep. Others were, you know, up on watch working, Um, you know, but I'm sure there was a variety of different emotions running throughout that boat, you know, and and it was pretty rough that first day. And, and, And being in a boat so huge and when you haven't, you know, I mean, I've done a few training races and stuff in it, but when you don't know what this boat's paces are like, what it can go through, what it can handle, when there's water dripping on you from up above, when you can hear things being thrown around inside the boat, you know, and sometimes your lee cloth, you, you, as you're 
leaning on it, you know, um, you're thinking, does this thing really hold me? Or am I going to go hurtling across <laughs> the boat? You know, like, it's like... And then before you know it, four hours later, someone's tapping you on your shoulder and it's like, Ryan, get up, mate. It's time to get up on deck. Your job. Yeah. You know, and, and then getting up to the bow of the boat where all the wet weather gear and your harnesses and everything was stored. And, you know, there's all the sail bags. And I remember myself and the guys in my watch all sort of lying on these sailing bags and, and trying to wriggle into pants and boots and harnesses and life jackets and all that sort of stuff. And this bow was lifting. It felt like it was lifting a good 10, 12 feet in the air and then just dropping out from underneath you. And I remember <laughs> I remember looking towards one of my fellow crew members and she was struggling a bit. And I said, people normally pay a lot of money at the, the you know, the... Um, um, theme parks for this sort of a ride <laughs> and I'm getting it for free <laughs> so you know so it was quite fun and, and look my I think by that stage I, um, the little bit of fatigue I'd had because of you know flying into Sydney and all that sort of stuff the little bit of sleep the adrenaline had kicked in and I was like I'm ready for this let's go you know so clambered up on deck as soon as you climb out that hatch it's like this wind just hits you and this blast in the face and you think Oh, hello, I'm awake now. <laughs> um, you know. Ready for action. Yeah, and then um, not long had we been up on deck and we were clipped onto the rails, of course, and all that sort of stuff, and you're all holding on for dear life. And then this great big wave just washed across the boat and I remember sitting up to my armpits in water and that was on the high side of the boat. So wow. if you're on the low side of the boat, and this is quite a wide boat, I reckon if I'd been standing at the lower rail on the other side of the boat, that water would have gone way over my head, at least another good two foot over my head. Jeez. So, And you are just sitting in this water. I mean, thankfully the wet weather gear that you know, I'd, I'd lined up was really good. Not much of it got in, but the dampness set in. And that's what I remember from the rest of the trip. There's that slowly that dampness sets in. And for four days... You, you're just constantly wet, you're constantly damp, and because you're only allowed a second change of clothes to take with you, I made that first set of clothes last as long as I could, and I think I changed them finally on the third day into the new set. Because, you know, it's always in the back of your mind, like, what happens if I put the new set on and I get dumped again and, you know, I'm, I'm completely wet again? You're wet for the rest of the trip, yeah. Yeah, that's right. It's always in the back of your head. So I tried to make it, you know, I'd, I'd give everyone the challenge. Go try wear the same pair of underwear, moist, damp underwear, for three <laughs> days straight. You know, sleep in it, live in it, do everything in it, and not shower, you know. Um, it's not the most wonderful um, feeling. So you get to Hobart. What's the feeling like as you're going up the Derwent? Heading towards oh, look, nerve-wracking, nerve-wracking, because there's so many other boats around you that are trying to beat you across that line, um, even though I believe we came in at about 46 in our division or something like that, or overall, sorry, and about six in our division. There's boats all around you that are trying to muscle you out the way. So there was really, it was, yes, elation was there, but there was also that sailing competitiveness was there, you know, like, hey, on here, well, we've got to take this seriously because, you know, we, we want to cross not 50, you know, we want to, we want to cross early. Um, so that was exciting. And we didn't finally get to dock till around about 7.30 that night. That was a bit of a moment because everybody else had family and friends there to meet them. And I didn't, I had no one there to meet me. So myself and a few others on the boat um, who didn't have anyone, we sort of just huddled in our own little group and went, oh, this is a bit sad, isn't it? You know, <laughs> there's no one here to see us. 
Although, in saying that, I was quite surprised that there was one of my managers from work who had been across to Tasmania that, and wasn't because I was in the race. They just happened to be there, and so they did yell out from the docks. It was a bit like, hey, I know someone. <laughs> you know, so, so that was really cool. And there was people from Royal Perth Yacht Club there, but they were there for other boats, you know, but they, because they knew me, they would come over and say good day. That was pretty intense, you know, that emotion when you're just going, wow, I've done it. But who do I share that with, you know? Yeah. But I shared it with my mates that I was on the boat with. So that was the first time you would have done four days on a boat in one straight. straight. Yes. Yeah. How are your sea legs? I think. Oh, look, my sea legs were fine. It was when I got off and tried to walk. <laughs> it's like those first couple of steps um, are a little bit shaky, and you're a bit, you know, you, you think you're compensating for waves that aren't there. Yeah. So you do sort of walk with those sort of bowed legs, and you know, a bit wobbly on your feet. One of the most amazing experiences that um, I did have when we got off the boat is, and one of the first things you want to do is have a shower, but there's hundreds of people in that same condition as you, right? They've just spent the last four days or whatever it is on the same, on, on their boats in the same condition as you, and they all want to shower as well. And I tell you what, it's quite amazing when that animal side comes out of people. <laughs> um, <laughs> it, was, it was this one shower block for the men and one for the girls. There was basically just bodies everywhere in all shapes, sizes and forms, you know, half naked, naked, drying, showering, stripping off gear. There was incredible smells. There was no curtains, no privacy. It was just like a big long room with lots of shower heads, um, you know, and it was just, if you weren't quick enough in your shower, you know, someone would be almost wrestling you out, you know, and it was <laughs> the most incredible intense and of course being blind right you know you didn't want to touch the wrong thing so you were kind of and, and all my crewmates it's sort of like they were in there with me but they were trying to look after themselves as they would right you know and it's not because they're nasty or anything but they were in the same condition as me they just wanted a shower and get out and so you're sort of trying to uh, angle your way through this crowd of people and as it was I couldn't find anywhere to actually get dried and changed so um, I ended up outside of the toilet block in my towel, completely starkers, with my gear on this wall with most of Tasmania walking probably about <laughs> 20 metres away from me. <laughs> but it was, I mean, it was 10 o'clock at night by this point, and I guess it was slightly darkish, thank you, but um, there was lighting, but it was just like, at that point, I didn't care. I just dried myself in front of everybody. Uh, I didn't, honestly, did not care. There was just no shame anymore it was just like <laughs> i want to get into these dry clothes and i remember standing there at one point you know when i dropped my towel ready to put my pants on and i'm standing there completely stuck because i can hear all these families and people walking past me not so far away you know, <laughs> and people talking and you know it's just like yeah. but i wasn't the only one doing that there was other people in the group with me outside the door doing exactly the same you know and people walking up and starting to strip off there and walking in you know like it was just incredible it was it was an amazing yeah. experience yeah, I must admit, um, I did actually speak to you. I think I rang you the next day and um, you were, I think, preparing for a, a bit of a celebratory drink. Uh -huh. You, yes, you, you sounded like you really yes. were on a high. Oh, time. yeah, absolutely. I was on a huge, huge high, massive high. It was, it was really good. I mean, you know, that adrenaline that's rushing through you and the emotions that are running through you, uh, if only you could bottle that. And in some of your darkest moments in your life, if you could just take a swig of that it'd be amazing how it could turn you around and sometimes I do like if I'm in a bad place I do think about that and I think about my trip around Cape Horn and other little bits and pieces I've done and sometimes you get that little it's not so much butterflies you get that little it's almost like a lump of 
joy or something in your in your gut and and in your chest and and sometimes you know that's enough to just give you that jolt back yeah and and we're all like that you know we all have dark places we go to occasionally whether it's work that takes us there family life that takes us there something that's not going right in our lives or something that's upsetting us frustrating us you know and and I do where possible try and you know remember those things and in my life or those goals that I've kicked and you know pull pull back on some of that and re-drink that atmosphere and go hey you know think about that that's a great a great lesson and a great piece of advice for everybody so Ryan as we wind up you've had some incredible sailing journeys do you think another city to Hobart's on the cards or do you think you'd rather do something a little more challenging yeah I, I think not that I want to go away from sailing but I have spent sort of maybe the last um 14 15 16 years doing a lot of sailing I don't want to go away from sailing I still love it but yes, I would like to find another journey um, and another experience. So um, I don't, I'm not sure what that is yet. Um, in the back of my mind, hiking. I wouldn't mind doing some hiking and, um, of some sort. You know, and I'm not talking just a day hike from here to so where, wherever. I'm, I'm talking you know, a couple of months of carrying the bag on the back and camping out and, and that sort of stuff. Um, I wouldn't mind trying something like that. Well, you've um, got a bit of family pedigree for... Bit of bush bashing, haven't you? Oh, I do. Yes, yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, although last um, time you did did that when you went out with your old man, you burnt your foot. If you I did burn my foot. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I did burn my foot. I stepped in a pot of boiling water. Mm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you won't do that again. <laughs> no, no, that's another story. But yeah, um, yeah I don't know. Um, there is that. Um, I wouldn't mind doing some of the kayaking on the ocean. Where you can go for expeditions, sort of, for a couple of days. I don't know. It's, I don't know what is next. Well, at least um, you're thinking about what's next. So, yeah. um, so look, look forward to you actually going on another adventure and then when you return from that adventure, you can come back to Max's Island and tell us all about it. Yeah, absolutely. And look, if there's one more message I can give for people to take away is that anything is possible. Anything you want to do and want to achieve is possible. But sometimes you've got to put the wheels in motion to make that happen. And so when you think about... Think back to when I said I had to jump the first yacht onto a different yacht and start doing some sea going racing and stuff like that. Making those calls to sailors with disability, looking for those opportunities, taking those chances, putting the hard yards in. You can make any dreams of yours come true, but you've got to be prepared to put in the hard work to make them happen. They're not just going to appear. Great advice, Ryan. Look, it's always great to chat. Thanks for being on Max's Island. Thank you for having me. Lost in the details of life Each day was a blur Oh work and no play And how, how it had turned out this way He told me his plan A short-term escape Five weeks on the Bibbulmun track Go it alone, no one to blame If he finished fell by the way 
every sense was engaged, his mind was as clear as the sky. Completely alone, no emails or phone. 